The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Zach Keel. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. So for our devotion this morning... We'll turn to John chapter 7, reading verses 40 through chapter 8, verse 12. But not reading the end of, well, 7.53 through 8.11, as that is not found in the superior manuscripts and is not part of John's gospel. It is not part of scripture, and thus we will not read it or pay attention to it. But uh, John 7, beginning in verse 40. When they heard these words, some of, the people sa- uh, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some others said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the, vig- the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Blessed Father, we thank you for a time to gather and to open your word and to meditate upon your holy scripture. We pray then your Holy Spirit would attend this reading and exhortation of the word, that you would write your truth upon our hearts so that we might be built up in the light of our salvation, Christ himself. And then walking by that light, we might live for your glory until you come again. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is the holiday season, and our Lord is in Jerusalem. This is for the great feast of booze, or Sukkot. And here in chapter 7, they're right in the middle of the celebration. And this was a huge celebration, as you might remember from your studies. It was an eight-day feast. Deuteronomy said that all the people were to come to Israel and rejoice before the Lord. So this is a joyous time with feasting and sacrifice and song for eight days in the temple. And the population of Jerusalem for these pilgrim feasts could sometimes jump from 25,000, which is the guesstimate for how populated Jerusalem was, to over 150,000 for these holidays. So packed and everything. 
Well, right in the middle of all these celebrations, as thousands are in the temple, Jesus stands up here in verse 37 of our chapter and says, um, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, in quoting this, he refers to the water libation ceremony, which was part of Sukkot. And here he basically has claimed that he is the river of or the uh, the water of the river of uh, I can't talk. The water of uh, the river of living water flows from him, and he is the rock in the wilderness. So the water libation ceremony uh, referred back to the wilderness wanderings and that rock which followed them and gave them drink. Well, Jesus stands up and he says, "I am that rock. I am the one who fulfills this river. The river of living water flows from me." and which is then fulfilled in the spirit, as John mentioned. Well, this is a huge disturbance. This is like running out in the middle of the Super Bowl and saying, I'm the greatest. Everybody was like, who speaks like this? And so now rumors start, who is this guy? Well, some say he is the prophet. This is the figure, the greater than Moses figure from Deuteronomy 18. But others says, no, 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 this is the Christ. It's the, the Messiah who will build the temple and the river of life will flow from it. Others say, no, 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 it can't be the Christ because we know this Jesus is from Galilee. We know the Messiah is Davidic. David was born in Bethlehem. He has to come from Bethlehem. Jesus is from Galilee. Now, obviously, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but the crowds do not. And so this becomes a stumbling block for the crowd. They're right. He is a prophet. And he will fulfill the greater than Moses prophet. And they're right that he is the Christ, but they can't quite put it all together. They have parts of the knowledge, but there's confusion. Well, then, the, as you also remember, the temple police were put out on an APB to arrest Jesus in our chapter, verse 32 of our chapter here. Now, these temple police are Levites, well-educated. Well, they're supposed to arrest Jesus and take him back to the Pharisees. But they hear what Jesus says and they say, we're not going to arrest this guy. No one has ever spoke like this. Well, they get back to the Pharisees and the Pharisees are mad at them. They scold them. Are you deceived too? They say Jesus is a pretender. And they scold these Levites for not arresting him. But the Levites are like, no one has ever spoken like this man. We're not going to arrest him. But then know what the Pharisees said after this. They say, have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? They pull the expert card and put themselves in that shoes. None of the experts, none of the smart people believe in Jesus. Thus, how could you? Are you dumb too? Is their implication? But look what they say of the crowd. But this crowd, the crowd that's getting things right, if not the full picture, at least part of the picture, they say this crowd does not know the law. They're, uh, they're ignorant. And because they're ignorant, they're cursed. They call the people accursed because they say they do not know the law, which in reality, they are getting the law and the prophecy of it at least partially right. So uh, complete arrogance. Next, now Nicodemus stands up and he says, wait a minute, I got a question here. And note, he doesn't raise the question of, is he the prophet or the Christ, or what Old Testament does this fulfill? But he brings up a legal uh, principle. He says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? He basically brings up a judicial principle. 
Uh, guys, our law doesn't condemn someone until we give them a fair trial. But what are the Pharisees doing? They've already condemned Jesus before even hearing him out, before giving him a trial. So here, Nicodemus points out the Pharisees' hypocrisy, and they're breaking their own law at the same time as they think they're the experts and know the law perfectly. <laughs> Thus, note how the Pharisees respond here. They respond not by dealing with Nicodemus' substance of his point, but by uh, scolding him and by ridiculing him. Are you from Galilee too? Nicodemus, you're just one of those stupid Galileans too, aren't you? They just insult him. But then they put a challenge. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This was the confusion for the crowds. If Jesus is from Galilee, then he can't be the Christ. Well, the Pharisees pick this up and they say, I dare you, Nicodemus, find a scripture that says the prophet will come from Galilee. And the assumption is you will not find one. But then Jesus raises his hand. He's like, let me have a try. Thus, we see that verse 12 needs to pick up right here after verse 52 of 7. Now, there's three connections here. Again, Jesus spoke. This again goes back to the first time he spoke in verse 37. Uh, literally in the Greek, it's therefore, Jesus said. So he's taking up this challenge. And he says to them, which would point to the Pharisees who in verse 13 respond. So Jesus says, you got a challenge? Where's a passage that says the prophet comes from Galilee? So this is what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, in this, he alludes to another part of the festival of Sukkot. This is the candle ceremony. Now, this ceremony is not uh, commanded by Moses in Leviticus or elsewhere, but it was a tradition that the rabbis developed. And in this candles, they would build, raise up four candles in the temple courtyard. And these four candles were 75 feet tall from the records that we have. Then on the night of the first day of the Feast of Booze, they would light these torches 75 feet high. They were huge, They're like the Olympic torch with a fire up on top. And from, the, from reports that we have of people who saw this, said that these lights were so bright they would light all of Jerusalem and from the right place, they could be seen from over 20 miles away. In such a time when there's no light pollution, they didn't have electricity, the night was dark, pitch black. And here these candles would be a beacon of light in a sea of darkness and blackness. Well, Jesus, so these would light. Another interesting thing about this is once they would light the candles, the, the Levitical orchestra would uh, start playing. They would sing the Song of Ascents throughout the night and they would worship. And one of the things that they would say during this worship was, our fathers used to worship the Son, but now we worship the Lord alone. Thus, these candles referred back to the pillar of fire in the wilderness and they celebrated that they no longer worshiped the Son God but God alone. The fire of these candles representing God's own presence and the light of his face pulled from numbers and the pillar of cloud, 
pillar of fire and all the wilderness wanderings. Well, now Jesus stands up underneath these candles, it's daytime, and says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the true reality and fulfillment of what these candles referred to and represented, which means he declares, I am God's presence, that I am God's light. I am God. He is the pillar of fire that shines light on his people and gives them life in the desert and guides them with true knowledge. This is what Jesus says. Indeed, other parts of the liturgy that the Levites would say picked up on a lot of the promises of Isaiah and the second Exodus redemption, which also recalled God's light and the wilderness motif. Thus it says in Isaiah 60, the sun shall no more be your light by day, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Well, Jesus standing under these candles says, I am that light. I am the light of salvation, the light of life. But then note what Jesus says next. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And with this line, walking in darkness and light, he alludes to another passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 9.2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Thus here, he refers to another light salvation passage shining on people in darkness and says, I am that light who will lead you out of darkness and into the light of life. Now, of course, darkness here particularly represents death and curse and lack of knowledge. But where does this light come from in Isaiah 9-2? Where does this light shine? Well, in the verse right before it says, In the latter time, by the, glor- by the, the glorious way is by the sea, by the Jordan, it is through the Galilee of the nation." Jesus just did it. Where does this messianic light come, this divine light? From Galilee. He met the Pharisees' challenge. The Pharisees, you can't find a passage. And Jesus says, I got one, I got one. It's, he says, I am the light of the world. And he dawns upon the, them as the true, more than the true prophet, more than just the Christ, but also God's own light and glory and salvation. Thus, we see that Jesus uh, proves here his Galilean origin is not a stumbling block to seeing who he truly is, but it's actually another fact that shows who he is and what he's come to do. Thus, here Jesus shows us clarity about his person and his work. For just as the crowds, and maybe even more so than the crowds, our world is still very confused about Jesus. Think how many ideas there are out there in the world about who Jesus is. Some say he's a pacifist, other a revolutionary, some a prophet, some Lord and some not. Some say that he's there to bring holiness, others just to help and eat with sinners, etc. There's lots of confusion. And you know how scary the darkness can be. As kids, we're all scared of the dark. As we grow old, we're supposed to grow out of it. But when you're still in a pitch dark room and don't know where you're at, 
it can be scary. Well, without Christ and his light, we are lost in darkness. The world that does not know Christ is a dark world. And Christ is that light, that knowledge unto salvation for all who believe in him. But think now also through which or by what means did Jesus' light shine upon us? How do we see this light? Well, where did Jesus go to prove that he was the light of the world? Isaiah, the word of God. Thus Christ's light shines upon us through his word. His word read, studied, proclaimed, meditated on. That's what a privilege you have to be students of God's word so that you can shine this light through the word upon God's people. But Christ's promise here isn't just a present promise. It very much is that, that as we believe in him, we walk in the light of his life. But it also points us to a future promise, what he'll ultimately do for us. Thus, it's very fitting here as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that in Revelation 22, it's this light that characterizes glory. As it says there, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will have no uh, need of light, of lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. In glory, we will truly live in the light of Christ, his face shining upon us. That's how fitting it is that one of the last titles Jesus uses for himself in Revelation is the bright morning star. This is your Savior, he who shines upon you to impart freely his life, his knowledge, his salvation, which guides you through this dark world and then brings you to the bright morning of the resurrection. May you be encouraged in him and rest in his light as you go forth to live for his honor. Amen. Let's pray. Glorious Father, we thank you for your light, that Jesus is the light of the world and that this light shines upon us through your word and the spirit as you apply the word to us, as you open our blind eyes, as you shine knowledge and life and grace on our dark hearts. So, Lord, meditating and rejoicing in the glory of Christ as our light, as our pillar of fire in this dark pilgrim world, may we then go forth rejoicing, happy that we are saved and that we walk in him, and then may we live for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.